This is Graham from Step Through History. It's been a long time since I have released a podcast. I've not given up. I've not run out of ideas. Quite the opposite. But obviously, the pandemic's making things like research a little bit difficult. However, for those who listen to the podcast, thank you. And I really hope you've enjoyed it so far. My biggest and best ideas are yet to come. I'm really excited to get back to it. But... In the meantime, if you haven't checked out my channel on YouTube, I have turned these stories into videos and were possible. I've even taken my video camera to the locations and tried to tell the story from the places from within the story. So, if you haven't checked out my Step Through History YouTube channel already, go for it. And in the meantime, here is a story about the siege of Constantinople, the sack of Constantinople and an entirely different sack of Constantinople. You'll see when you get there. Enjoy. This short story is from 1453. Sultan Mehmed has brought up his cannons to end the siege of Constantinople. The day is the 29th of May, the day of the final assault. The hour was already advanced. The day was declining and near evening and the sun was at the Ottomans' backs but shining in the faces of their enemies. This was just as the Sultan had wished. Accordingly, he gave the order first for the trumpets to sound the battle signal and the other instruments, the pipes and flutes and cymbals too, as loud as they could. A great and fearsome sound. Everything shook and quivered at the noise. After that, the standards were displayed. To begin, the archers and slingers, and those in charge of cannon and the muskets, in accord with the commands given them, advanced against the walls slowly and gradually. When they got within bowshot, they halted to fight. And first they exchanged fire with the heavier weapons, with arrows from the archers, stones from the slingers, and then leaden balls from the cannon and muskets. Then they closed with battle axes and javelins and spears, hurling them at each other, and being hurled pitilessly in rage and fierce anger. This kept up till sunset. Sultan Mehmed saw that the attacking divisions were very much worn out by the battle, and had not made any progress worth mentioning. Immediately, he brought up the divisions which he had been reserving for later on, men who were extremely well armed, daring and brave, and far in advance of the rest in experience and valour. They were the elite of the army, heavy infantry, bowmen and lancers, and his own bodyguard, and along with them those of the division called the Janissaries. Calling on them and urging them to prove themselves now as heroes, he led the attack against the wall himself at the head. With a loud and terrifying war cry, and with fierce impetuosity and wrath, they advanced as if mad. Being young and strong and full of daring, and especially because they were fighting in the Sultan's presence, their valour exceeded every expectation. They attacked the palisade and fought bravely without any hesitation, and forced the defenders back inside. The Emperor Constantine took his stand in front of the palisade and fought bravely. Sultan Mehmed, who happened to be fighting quite near by, saw that the palisade and other part of the wall had been destroyed, were now empty of men and deserted by the defenders. 
Realising that the wall was deserted, he shouted out, Friends, we have the city, we have it! So saying, he led them himself. Now there was a great struggle and great slaughter among those stationed there. There, the Emperor Constantine, with all who were with him, fell in gallant combat. After this, the Sultan entered the city and looked about to see its great size, its situation, its grandeur and beauty, its teeming population, its loveliness and the costliness of its churches and public buildings and of the private houses. When he saw what a large number had been killed, and the ruin of the buildings, and the wholesale ruin and destruction of the city, he was filled with compassion and repented not a little. Tears fell from his eyes as he groaned deeply and passionately. What a city we have given over to plunder and destruction. This story is from 1204 and it is an eyewitness account of a family's escape when crusaders broke through the triple walls or Theodician walls as I believe they're called and sacked the Byzantine capital of Constantinople. There was a certain acquaintance of mine who shared my hearth with me, a Venetian by birth who was deemed worthy of protection and with him his household and wife were preserved from physical harm. He proved to be helpful to us in those troubled times, putting on his armour and transforming himself from merchant to soldier. He pretended to be a companion in arms and, speaking to them in their own barbaric tongue, claimed that he had occupied the dwelling first. Thus he beat off the despoilers to a man, but they continued to pour in in large numbers and he despaired of opposing them, especially the French, who were not like the others in temperament or physique and boasted that the only thing they feared was heaven. As it was impossible for him to fall upon them, he enjoined us to depart. We left a short time later, dragged away by the hand as though we had been allotted to him as captives of his spear, and downcast and ill-clad we were sent on our way. When our servants dispersed in all directions, inhumanely abandoning us, we were compelled to carry on our shoulders the children who could not yet walk, and to hold in our arms a male infant at breast and thus to make our way through the streets. Having remained in the city for five days after her fall, we departed on the 17th of April, 1204. The day was Saturday, and what had taken place was not, I believe, an event without meaning. A fortuitous circumstance, or a coincidence, but the will of God. It was a stormy and wintry day. As we came to the church of the noble martyr, Mochios, a lecherous and unholy barbarian like a wolf pursuing a lamb, snatched from our midst a fur-tressed maiden, the young daughter of a judge. Before this most piteous spectacle, our entire company shouted out in alarm. The girl's father, afflicted by old age and sickness, stumbled, fell into a mud hole, and lay on his side, wailing and wallowing in the mire turning to me in utter helplessness. He entreated that I do everything possible to free his daughter. I immediately turned back and set out after the abductor. Following his tracks, in tears, I cried out against the abduction, and with gestures of supplication I prevailed upon those passing troops who were not wholly ignorant of our language to come to my aid. 
and I even held on to some with my hand. When we arrived at the lodgings of this lover of women, he sent the girl inside and stood at the gateway to repulse his opponents. Pointing my finger at him, I said, This is he whose wrongdoing the light of day bears witness, and who disregards the commands of your well-born chiefs. This man has flouted your injunctions before many witnesses, and was not afraid to bray like a salacious ass at the sight of chaste maidens. Defend, therefore, those who are protected by your laws and who have been put in our charge. With such arguments, I aroused the sympathies of these men, and they insisted on the girl's release. At first, the barbarian showed contempt, as he was held captive by the two most tyrannical of passions, lust and wrath. When he saw, however, that the men were bristling with anger, and proposed to hang him from a stake as an unjust and shameless man, he yielded reluctantly and surrendered the girl. The father rejoiced at the sight of his daughter, shedding tears as libations to God for having saved her from this union without marriage crowns and bridal songs. Then he rose to his feet and continued on the way with us. This story is from the mid-7th century and is about Stephen, the deacon of St. Sophia at the great church of Constantinople and his, um, well, problematic testicles. In my testicles, he said, I suffered a rupture, whether from shouting acclamations or from a heavy weight. Dear Lord, heavy weight, what's going on there? I cannot really say. This happened to me a short time before Heracleos of Blessed Mary died in 641, and out of shame I concealed myself for a considerable time, watching carefully for a chance to bathe alone in the small hours. At long last, I disclosed the misfortune to my parents, and after many treatments, oh how many, had been performed on me, finally after taking counsel with them, I entrusted myself for surgery to the surgeons in the hospital of Samson and I reclined in the hospital room, near the entrance to the area devoted to eyes. After I had been treated all over for three nights and days with cold quarteries, surgery was performed on the fourth day. I will omit what horrible things I experienced whilst on my back. To sum up everything, I state that I actually despaired of life itself at the hands of the physicians. After God, entreated by the tears of my parents, restored my life to me, and after the scar from the incision and the cautery had healed, and just as I was believing that I was healthy, short time later the same condition recurred, and so I reverted to my former state. I had a plan to approach the holy martyr, as I had heard of his many great miracles. Still, I was unwilling to wait in the venerable church, feeling ashamed before friends and acquaintances to be seen by them in such a condition. But I frequently used to pass, for at that time, he said, I was staying in at the Oxia. And so I descended to the holy tomb of his precious relics, and I cast some of his holy blessings, oil, on my testicles, hoping to procure a cure in this manner. And frequently I entreated him to deliver me from the troublesome condition. After descending to the holy tomb, 
I found the doors in front open, and I was astounded that they were open at such an hour. This was the doing of the martyr in his desire to pity me. Stretching out face down on the holy coffin, I straddled it, and thus contrived to rub the corner of some holy tomb on the spot where I was ailing. And with tears, I spoke again to the martyr, Saint Artemios, by God, who has given you the gift of cures? No doctor on earth will ever touch me again. So if you please, cure me. But if not, to your everlasting shame, I will live thus without a cure. And after some days, I went to the bath in the quarter of Anthemios, the one called Livanon, to bathe by myself at dawn in order to not be seen by anyone. And entering the hot chamber, I noticed that I still had the injury. But upon exiting, I had no injury. And recognising the act of kindness on the part of God and the martyr which had befallen me, in thanksgiving, I do now glorify them, proclaiming their deeds of greatness throughout my whole life. Well, if, um, obviously, quick disclaimer, if you have testicle problems, um, do not rub them on the corner of anything. And whatever you do, if it brings tears to your eyes, stop doing it. This isn't the mid-7th century. Go to a doctor. Well, I hope you enjoyed those stories. I will be back, hopefully, in the next few weeks with some more. In the meantime, for those who haven't checked out YouTube, check out Step Through History. And leave me a comment. I love talking to, to the people who listen. I want to know where you're from. I want to know why you're listening. What interests you. And if you've got any suggestions, any uh, potential story leads that you would like me to look at, then please get in touch. Leave a comment. It would be great to hear from you all. Uh, and on that note then, until next time.